Welcome to the latest episode of Wait What? Sports Biz Chat with DP and McGee. The podcast where we take a sometimes irreverent, sometimes cynical, and even a sometimes serious look at the business of sports. I'm your co-host, Tim McGee. And I'm David Paro. So, David, what's on your mind this week? Well, I need to start with a happy birthday to you. (laughs) Thank you. I won't talk about which one it is. I'll leave that up to you. Uh, But uh, my friend, this has been a blast doing this. And I really do hope that uh, after we finish the recording of this, you're able to have a a great time with your family and or friends, but serious uh, happy birthday wishes. We're not going to, we're not going to mention my age, but one of my friends said, well, it beats the alternative. And I said, well, considering I have neither died nor turned this age before, I can't really comment on that. uh, (laughs) Right. But then, right. uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, anybody who says you don't need validation in life doesn't have a Facebook account um, because I am truly humbled by how many people have reached out today. And uh, shout out to Terry Lefton, who said everybody's going to give you a Facebook message. So I'm going to give you a call. So thank you to Terry. Right. And which everybody my, else. Right. Which was my thought as to why I texted you this morning versus <laughs> doing that. And then I decided to promote the podcast via a birthday wish on yes, Facebook. Well, you so, know, listen, if you're going to use me, there are more nefarious things right, to use me for right. than trying to promote this podcast to well, our to our ever growing and global audience. Right. So let's get on. Uh, let's get on with the show. I guess. I, you know, I. We're been, not going to uh, talk about me and my birthday the whole time. We're, no. <laughs> we, well, we are. We'll talk about it in the middle section. Um, okay. uh, I, I'm. I'm hoping the cake is delivered uh, in time. May not be, but. Thank you. Um, and then uh, maybe we'll say it again at the end. But uh, you deserve it. You deserve as many wishes as you can get. Thank you. So after we spoke last week about the all the shakeup going on uh, in the college space, only because two teams announced that they were going to be joining the Big Ten. So much jockeying has was going on and everybody speculating. It seems as though things have settled down a bit, but we do know that all of these conferences are kind of hustling and trying to figure out what next moves are. Interesting. I mean, the two power conferences of the Power Five um, will be, of course, the SEC and the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. Um, after the, after Oklahoma and Texas joined the SEC, they'll be at 16 teams. They have said since this announcement that came ab- about Ohio, uh, excuse me, uh, USC and UCLA joining the big 10, that they are cool sticking with 16 while all this speculation that Florida state and Miami and possibly Clemson might be defecting the ACC to go there. And the big 10 has said, we're holding steady at 16 now too. Um, have they said anything about changing their name? From well, the no, but they didn't when they, they didn't, when they went to 12, they didn't, when they went to 14, <laughs> they don't care. It's the big 10 they're, they're in with that logo. And I, I kind of respect that in a way. Um, I, I think it gets, you know, apparently, honor all the apparently time. conference names are not covered by truth in no, advertising. No. Um, regulations. Yeah. And the, and the, and the big 12 added four teams, Cincinnati, Houston, UCF, and Brigham Young to get them back to 12, I think. Yeah, and by the way, so, for those of you who can't see this because it is a podcast, David got those four names right off the top of his head. Yeah. He was not looking at notes, so to my co-host. <laughs> so, I, and I think that there might be some satisfaction, particularly Kevin Warren, the Big Ten commissioner, and um, and the SEC might be fine with where they are right now. But I don't, for a minute, 
think that there's not some degree of jockeying just because there's too much potential fallout. Um, Brett Yormark is making his introduction like this week in front of the Big 12 because they have their media day, mm-hmm. uh, media days. And so, wow, nice time to come in. He's going to be kind of presented. So we'll see what they're doing. We've heard that obviously they're talking to some of the Pac-12 schools that uh, that are, are worried. There's talk, of course, about a new alliance between the Pac-12 and the ACC, which I would think is kind of cool um, to see where it nets out. But, you know, the position will be is what's next after sec and big 10 what's the next who's who's next does the big 12 emerge uh, as the next uh, strong one does the acc make some moves notre dame's a wild card of course they could join the big 10 i imagine anytime they want um they except for football where they remain independent all their other sports uh play in the acc so that's kind of an interesting um angle as well i imagine that jim phillips the commissioner of the acc is working hard to bring them into the fold uh, somehow because that would be huge. But as long as, and Jack Swarbrick has said this, the AD at Notre Dame, as long as uh, there's a good television partner uh, and that they can schedule competitively and the money's there, they want to remain independent in football. The problem is now with these new alliances, are they going to be able to schedule because these other conferences are so big, uh, big enough national games, and does NBC remain interested in doing that? Yeah, I think if there's one program that can sort of write its own ticket to a large extent, it is Notre Dame football. Um, but but you're right, you know, they could be the odd man out looking in um, because at the end of the day, they want to be competing for national championships every year. And if they don't have a realistic chance of being in that mix because they're not affiliated with the conference, then they have to rethink what they're doing. Right. And they certainly are one of the ones behind trying to expand that that you know, college football playoff beyond four. And most people expect that that will happen either going to a, um, uh, you know, a 12 game scenario, a 12 team scenario, uh, or a, uh, a scenario where four top teams get buys and then, and then other, you know, eight teams play in. So it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how, how this all shakes out, but you know, no big moves have been announced. I, I I can't wait to see what comes out of the Big 12. And uh, I, I do expect that there will be some other moves. But, you know, Joe Favorito, when we spoke with him last you know week, he talked about kind of staying cool. Um, I read a, a, a an article with a lengthy interview from John Curry, who is the Wake Forest SID, or excuse me, AD. Sorry, sorry there, John Curry. Because I was a former SID, and trust me, the AD position is much higher than the <laughs> SID position. Um, uh, saying that, hey, things are strong. We're talking. We're in good shape. I mean, you know, the smaller schools in these conferences, you can think about Northwestern or, um, uh, you know, Vanderbilt in the SEC or Wake Forest in the um, in the ACC as, as potentially being vulnerable if, if other schools like Carolina and Florida State and uh, Clemson get, get poached by other conferences? I, I, I don't know if worried is the right term, but I think you have to, you have to think that there's more going on when you don't hear things go, you know, being reported publicly than when you hear all that speculation. Because, right. you know, like nature, media accords a vacuum, right? So they sort of, We'll make things up, but I think there's there's obviously conversations going on behind the scenes that we're not right. privy to. Right. But, what about you? Well, let's talk about something we have talked about, and uh, you know, you 
you have said in the past will it will continue to be a big story and by god you're right um live golf right rory uh mcelroy who has been um pretty vocally opposed to live golf um caused some uh some headlines when he said something to the effect that both sides should be talking i think he walked those back those comments back a, a little bit dare i say in the understatement of the week um but I, I sort of understand his point, right? You can't, you know, neither side is, is you know, is able to sort of ignore the other one uh, at this point. So I, I sort of understand where he's coming, right. but coming from. But then Tiger, um, you know, who still holds a very, very uh, influential voice within the, in the world of golf, um, you know, basically said that, you know, the players who have defected to live golf have been ungrateful for what the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour and, uh, you know, the more traditional properties have have given them in terms of uh, opportunities throughout their career. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rory did kind of come back pretty quickly on that. But I, I do think you're right. There's kind of an interesting both things could be true there. Um, he but he but he did say in his walk back that if live golf went away tomorrow, he would be very, very happy. And you think it would be good. Um, I, I actually got to watch some of Tiger's uh, comments today and he, and he handled it very thoughtfully. He wasn't just reacting odd. He knew the questions were going to come and he was ready for them. And he was, he was very strong. Now um, people could argue, and I saw some of this that, you know, he made so much money so quickly with his Nike deal, et cetera that he could have skated, you know, on sponsorship, um, but he didn't, he kept grinding. He worked harder than anybody else. And um, he had a tougher fall in a lot of ways than, than anyone else has certainly mm-hmm. in that game. Um, but he kept grinding and he kept winning and he dominated the sport for a long time. Um, and he's still revered, I think, by most of the other golfers um, that realize that he is the big reason um, maybe since Arnold Palmer that golf just elevated again uh, and the money got super big. I didn't mention Arnold Palmer for any specific reason other than he <laughs> deserved to be, you know. Um, really? where, did, where, did, where did he go to college? My understanding is he went to this <laughs> small, uh, you know, liberal arts university in uh, Winston-Salem, North Carolina, Wake Forest. Oh, okay. Um, but, uh, but he talked about that. He's like, he's like, these guys are, taking the easy way out they're they and they're not going to know what it's like to work and grind he also said something that was interesting which I, we don't know if it's going to happen and there's no indication honestly that it will based on at least the initial reactions from the rna and that live golfers obviously are playing in this week's open championship um the pga uh championship allowed um, live golfers. And of course the U S USGA announced that, you know, of course they play, they qualify They're They're able to play. If that changes in the future, it'll be interesting, but he floated that idea a little bit, but he caught himself and he said, we don't know if that's going to happen, but you know, maybe they won't know what it's like to stroll down Augusta, um, the fairway of Augusta buying for a major championship there. Um, but you know, he's Tiger Woods, So people were, were definitely, you know, ready to listen to him. And that was the biggest name in the sport still. Um, you know, speaking strongly to kind of support where Rory has been, where Justin Thomas has been, where John Rahm seems to be, 
where J- Jordan Spieth seems to be now. Um, uh, you know, while um, you know some of the other players that have defected um, from both the PGA Tour and the DP World Tour, um, Ian Poulter and Graham McDowell, for instance, are losing sponsorship. Um, so it's going to be obviously a, a you know a focus of attention uh, here in addition to this 150th anniversary of the Open Championship at the amazing old course at St Andrews. Yeah, I, I think you know in addition to being the biggest name in golf, um, it's not a stretch to now refer to Tiger at the age of 46 um, as an elder statesman, right within within the sport among those who are still actively competing. And it'll be interesting. I, you know, um, we can talk about it at the end. Um, yeah. So I, I think, and, you know, listen, there's another announcement that the department of justice is, uh, is conducting an initial investigation into the PGA tour for anti-competitive practices. Um, apparently they did that once before in the past that didn't go anywhere in terms of, uh, bringing any charges to the PGA tour. Um, I don't know where that's, where that's coming from. Um, you know, in terms of, because, you know, a lot of those investigations start off as uh, political, um, but, I, but I'd but i like to believe that the DOJ is sort of above that fright. Right. Uh, you know, I've been curious about that as well. I mean, obviously, um, the line from particularly Norman, the players that have gone over to live haven't said this, um, other than they're saying that they feel they should be able to play on both. Um, uh, you know, it is, it's a, it's, if it's an exhibition tour and not a competitive tour, I think that's a completely different thing, but it doesn't seem like that's what they're pushing toward. It seems like they're pushing toward an actual competitive tour, regardless of what, what was being said early on, particularly by Greg Norman, but the, but the taking it up now. And so quickly after, you know, all this buzz has just started over the last, you know, couple months where it's gotten really, really intense. So someone had to bring it to their attention. I, I don't think, they're watching press conferences or watching, you know, YouTube or Facebook live um, and going, Hmm, that seems like they should be able to play on both tours all but of a sudden. Se- it seems to me, and I'm not an attorney, obviously, and I'm certainly not an antitrust. Expert, but you play one on the podcast on occasion. On occasion. But it would seem to me if the players who are complaining about being barred from playing on the PGA tour have the ability to play in live golf by definition there's competition right Right. for for players now again i don't know the ramifications if you know of of the tour preventing these players but um you know i don't listen there's there's a number of companies that i would have liked to have worked for in my career that for whatever reason didn't want me as an employee i don't think i had much recourse right (laughs) um, with them well, they're independent contractors, True. Um, and so I think that's a piece of it. And, they, and and they're usually granted exemptions. I mean, that was a piece of this, which was, I wouldn't say surprising, because we knew something pretty bold was coming at a certain point. But, you know, I mean, players obviously went over and played in the Scottish Open as a prep for, and that's a DP World Tour event. So mm-hmm. players can go over and play in that as a warm-up. And I think there's a nice partnership between those two tours anyway. Uh, and then various other exhibition events um, that that some American players, including Tiger, 
have gone over and made big money on because you can get appearance fees that way. Yeah. Uh, and that's always been the case um, as a way to pick up uh, extra money, maybe skip a PGA Tour event, go over, be an ambassador to do something. Uh, by the way, including in, in, um, you know, in events hosted by uh, at least on the Arab Peninsula. Um, uh, and, I, and I'm not so sure if in Saudi Arabia in particular anyway. Um, so this is this this, though, elevated, you know, it's like that scene in, you know, um, Anchorman. It's like, well, that elevated quickly. <laughs> um, and it was just, um, you know, all these things simmering. And, you know, when we had when we had Norb Gambuza on some months ago and th- that the way the tour normally handles things is to be very quiet about it. But, you know, a lot of paddling was going on under the water uh, in the old uh, duck analogy. Right. Um but uh, but then it got to the point where like shit was flying. Right. Um, and it's still big time. Uh, it's still big time flying. So we'll see if, if any of these players, uh, if Dustin Johnson or, um, uh, you know, any of the other players that are that are over there competing, you know, rise to the occasion and, and challenge for this. If that's the case, then it'll be even more in the news. One of the things that I I been pushing back on some people recently on as I've thought about this uh, and the argument and take the, the, you know, the sovereign wealth fund aspect of it out of the equation for a minute. Um, But people that are like, why don't they have the right to play in this? It's good money for them. They take the money. Okay, fine. I accept that. What was the market need that was being filled here? You know, I don't, is this, is, is this actually disrupting? It's disrupting, you know, everybody's life that follows golf, of course, but was there a market need? Was there, was there not an, was 24 hours of golf on golf channel, for instance, for the U S consumer, not enough where you could watch golf any, any time you want, um, that a, uh, what looks like an exhibition series with a shotgun start 54 holes. What, where, where was the, where was the need being filled? just to see other great golfers, like decent golfers play in, in what amounts to a friendly. I'm assuming that was a semi rhetorical question. It was. Yes. Okay. Because there is no void that's being filled. Right. I think it's, uh, there are any number of reasons why the Saudi sovereign fund has done it. There's any number of reasons why Greg Norman has done it. And certainly there's hundreds of millions of reasons why the players have decided to do it. But your point is well taken, right? It's not, it's not like the PGA Tour is falling short in any aspect of delivering a quality golf product to consumers, fans, players, uh, sponsors, media partners, etc. Yeah. So, as they say, watch this space. So, yeah. I, I I will say one more thing on that. In fairness, because one of the responses I got when asking that question was competition is in and of itself kind of fair game. So you don't necessarily need to be filling a new need you push out and you compete against someone. And we certainly see that in the football space here. I would argue that there is, there is seemingly no end to the people's interest in watching football. And then somebody keeps wanting to try it to take advantage of that. Uh, that would be my counter to that. But he was right in his response. And this is a very knowledgeable golf guy, a, a friend of mine that, um, that we've had a lot of discussions on this, but uh, we can, we can, uh, we can move on from there. So uh, I don't know if you caught any of the, WNBA All-Star game from uh, from Chicago. Um, Wintrust Arena looked like it had a nice crowd there. Chicago knows how to do an All-Star game weekend. So 
Um, it uh, it looked like it was a nice event, and obviously Brittany Griner was the was the large focus um, of uh, all attention going on. And um, players came out in the second half wearing number forty two, um, obviously in support of her. And um, uh, you know she did make a she did make a pleading um, uh, or an admission of guilt. Um, we have to get a little more detail on what that is, and, and we'll see where this goes. But, but Brittany Griner still very much in the news in the WNBA, um, and uh, Commissioner Kathy Engelbert really, really making a, a more aggressive push to be very front and center on this and uh, yeah. keeping it in, in, in our minds. And, and former governor um, slash cabinet member slash special envoy Bill Richardson is heading to Russia this week to begin more formal talks about her release. So hopefully uh, he's had a good track record of doing that on behalf of other people detained in, in Russia and other countries. So hopefully, hopefully he can be uh, successful in this as well. Uh, if you don't mind, I want to give a couple of other shout outs. Cool. We love uh, shout outs. Keeping, keeping on the, the theme of the WNBA, Sabrina Ionescu of the, uh, of the New York Liberty recorded her uh, third triple-double in 54 career games, including for the first time in WNBA history, recording more than 30 points in a game. That's pretty pretty cool. She's uh, she's a special player, still very young. Um, and then big news, uh, well, for the big news, this is big news too, but the U.S. Women's National Team, first team to uh, qualify for the 2023 World Cup, continuing their string of success going back, you know, nearly 30 years as a, as a team. So congratulations. But I wanted to talk about uh, an announcement the other day. Uh, Sandra Douglas Morgan was named the president of the Las Vegas Raiders. Yeah. So first, um, first uh, black woman named president of an NFL club. She comes to them from the Nevada Gaming Commission. Um, apparently, if you can deal with Terry Benedict and uh, Danny Ocean, uh, you <laughs> you are uh, well suited to work for Mr. Davis and the uh, and the Raiders organization. So, but I, I I I hope I live long enough that announcements like this don't generate right the sort of the this is the first person who's done this right. Um, but it's still fantastic news. Um, apparently, very accomplished woman. Um, you know, well-known in Nevada and Las Vegas. So good luck and congratulations to her. So Sandra, if uh, you or any of your friends are listening, we would love to have you on the podcast. Well, listen, it's, it's an interesting time. And I, and obviously it was time for something like this, something that, that is going to make that big news. You know, the, the Raiders are an interesting organization because they're both <laughs> been progressive over the years. And a lot yes. of the things they do, obviously going back to, to Mark Davis's father, Al, uh, um, but they also were being looked at pretty closely for some, uh, uh, some, you know, toxic culture environments yeah. that Mark Davis has announced. They've obviously looked into. You always gotta like scratch your head a little bit when you when you hear about these, you know, investigations that uh, that you do internally. And then it goes back, of course, to um, the you know the Gruden discussions and so forth when they had to fire him. But um, this is uh, this is not a this is this is a move that certainly helps that. And shows that they're a little more focused, and I think that's one of the big reasons is that the feeling is that is that she will help with really kind of setting where, where they want and feel they need to go from a culture standpoint, and I think from an NFL standpoint, 
it's a really, really great move. Yeah. Yeah. If, if the culture can't be set by the team president, um, right. then who can't, you know, other than the owner who can set it. Right. So, yeah. and then I want to give one more shout out and this, this uh, pains me uh, greatly <laughs> because I didn't think there was a current tennis player. I could like less than Novak Djokovic, but but apparently Nick Kyrgios, oh, you, oh, you, you, you made the list, I, my friend. Yeah. I found myself rooting for Djokovic in, in, in the finals at Wimbledon. And uh, um, so we mentioned Kyrgios. Yeah, we mentioned Kyrgios. I don't know if it was last week or the week before, because he is the first client of, um, of uh, Naomi Osaka's agency. Um, uh, and in a way, I, I, I guess that's great. Listen, this guy can play the game. I think he could be as great as he wants to be. I've never seen anyone in this, you know, we both remember McEnroe days that that takes on everything. There's like nothing that doesn't bother him while he's playing and he lets it out. So I'm thinking, I'm like, is this guy just like talking Nuts. openly about the conversation that's on his head? Right. We all have conversations in our head. Right. I mean, yeah. I'm not the only one. Right. OK. No, no. So but he's playing and he's constantly yelling at his at his team and at his box. He's obviously always chirping at the umpire. And then at the end of the match, it's like great match. It, and he and Djokovic are like tight. So it was one of the weirdest things to watch. The tennis itself was quite good. Yeah. Um, Except for that meltdown at the end of the third set. Yeah. I mean, it was it was horrible to watch. I mean, it was horrible yeah. in that. <laughs> it was you were scared of what was going to happen, but you couldn't turn your head. It was like a train wreck. What I found particularly amusing was McEnroe, uh, you know, giving advice, although not directly to Kyrgios, but basically saying how he should have handled himself in his interactions with the crowd, with his team, with right. the well, and so forth. Well, I think McEnroe understands what he is and what he was. And I was watching some of the uh, – the, the breakfast at Wimbledon or, you know, earlier in the day and, and Chris Everett was on with McEnroe and she was saying what she saw is the difference between Matt. And I don't know if this is true because McEnroe like was, was rough. Um, but what the difference was, was that McEnroe would let it out and then it'd get back in the point. Kyrgios did not do that. No, he was I think... chirping about five points before, like, you know, after he blows a, a game. Yeah. And I'm sure there were there were times if you you know, if you followed his career closely, you could look back and point to a particular match or a particular tournament where McEnroe would have one of those famous meltdowns. And maybe it led to a loss, a loss of a, a game, a set or even a match. Um, but I, I think there's something to be said for what whatever it said, which was he he used, you know, I'm not saying it was staged. Right. Because he was truly angry in that moment. But I think he used it to to recenter himself, to let it be known that he didn't agree with calls. And then it was done. Right. It was right. like, you know, he would, he would let it out and then, and then he would get on to the next set or the next game or whatever, or even the next you know point. Yeah. Correct. And it's certainly not what, uh, what, what Kyrgios seems uh, able to do. No, um, but I, listen, yeah. Djokovic wins another grand slam. So he's now at 21. He's yeah. still one behind Nadal. The question is, is he going to be able to play in New York? As of right now, he won't. He's saying he won't take a vaccine. I had one observation for you. I wanted to see if you had any thoughts on this. One of the first things that that, that Djokovic did after he won is he laid down on the grass, which a lot of players do after they win mm -hmm. Wimbledon. He's four straight Wimbledon, by the way. I mean, this guy is amazing. Yeah. He picks up a piece of grass, 
which I'm guessing has been pretty heavily fertilized over the over time. Right. And he eats it now, but he won't take a vaccine because he doesn't want to <laughs> put anything in his body. Wait, what? Like, what? <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, I did not see that, but yeah, that is, it, that it is was, pretty funny. And he, this guy is great. I really do hope he's able to play at the U.S. Open because he's he's uh, the best player. There's no reason he can't get to 24, 25, no. 26 he, grand slams he looks when so all is fit. said and done. I mean, he's playing against a guy that's so athletic. I mean, Kyrgios is so athletic. I And I look at Djokovic, I'm like, I, there's nothing that says he can't be playing – at this level, five six years down the road, how many yeah, more? Especially if he doesn't he poison himself with a vaccine. With, right. <laughs> but listen, I also want to mention the. Uh, you know, apparently the ratings were really good. I don't have the exact numbers there, but Wimbledon put some really good numbers up, both for the men's and the women's final. The women's final was interesting as well. We had a uh, a first time uh, a woman from Tunisia played uh, Anz uh, Jabour, um, uh, first Arab woman to make a final. Mm-hmm. Uh, against uh, Elena uh, Rabakina, who is or from Kazakhstan, or she lists as Kazakhstan, but she's from Moscow. Right. She's Russian. So, but she had aligned with Kazakhstan because she basically didn't have funding or or whatever, something like that. I, I'm, correct us if we're we're wrong on that. Of course, Russia right after the win totally claimed her right. um, because. You'll recall that Wimbledon was not allowing players from Belarus or from Russia right. to play because of the uh, the Ukraine invasion. So um, that was kind of weird. But this this um, uh, this young woman could not have been more gracious and soft spoken, and she played a great match. Um, and it was uh, it was nice to see wherever she's from. She was a great player, um, and she was very impressive in her interviews uh, after and. Congratulations to her. Another another great uh, Wimbledon in the books. Of course, me being as emotionally stunted and immature as I am, the minute you said Kazakhstan, you know what went through. Me. Oh, of course, Borat. Yeah, it's nice. Yeah, I Um, yeah, sexy I, time. <laughs> this is my wife. <laughs> um, yeah, of course, and I and. And I love Sasha Baron Cohen, but um, uh, yeah, I don't think he probably did any favors to the uh, the country of uh, Kazakhstan. <laughs> and Kazakhstan has actually been, because um, it still has a lot of influence. Obviously, Russia uh, maintains a fair amount of control over that country. Right. But they, in my understanding, because I looked into this when I was looking into uh, uh, Elaine to Rubakina's background, um, and they denied support for the war they were asked to send troops and they denied it so i was like good on you and let's be honest uh, borat slash sasha baron cohen hasn't really done a lot of great things for america too when you think of some of the things he's 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 revealed about us as a country he's done a lot of good for rudy giuliani hasn't yeah no sure Um, anyway wait i got one more shout out i want to shout out to the great james Kahn, who we lost last week Sonny. This is my but favorite. Also, my before favorite. he became Sonny, yeah. He was Brian Piccolo in the great movie um, Brian's Song. This is my favorite piece of sports apparel. My Bears throwback Piccolo jersey. Well, he went to Wake Forest of, too, by the way. Just yeah. it's, <laughs> it's part of the that. reason I have that jersey. I, but. That. I have his rookie card, by the way. Um, so uh, nice. Yeah. Nice. No, uh, in in my mind, best sports movie ever. 
because it's the first it, one I watched as it, a kid. And it's certainly the best tearjerker of sports. Oh my movies, god! But, yeah, uh, yeah. No, it's a great Randall Carissian. I mean, you know, I mean, uh, Billy D. Williams. You know, that speech he gives at the end. I was crying. Hey, I was crying as a as a little kid. <laughs> Hey, and I love I love a guy that can admit that he he cried at movies. Yeah, I did well, too. All well, right, it's time. But, but but then again, I did cry when I saw the first Colt Forty Five commercial with yeah. Billy Williams too. So, oh, <laughs> all right, we need to take a break here because we have a great guest uh, about to join us. Hang with us. It's time for our guest. So welcome back. We are here with our guest, uh, somebody I've known for a long time. Um, he has uh, made a career in Atlanta, first as a senior executive at one of the hidden gems in the sports marketing industry, uh, formerly known as CSE, now known as uh, You Are Here. Uh, for the last almost seven years, he's been with the Atlanta Braves, first as senior vice president of marketing, now senior vice president of marketing and content. Adam Zimmerman, welcome to the program. Thank you, Tim. Tim, David, good to see you guys. You That's as well. You Let's good get started. You. Yeah. Uh, before we came on the air, we were talking about great matchup last night between the Mets and the Braves. Braves, as we talk now, um, two and a half games out of first place. But uh, tell us your thoughts on the Major League Baseball season so far. Uh, what are you most excited about coming into and going out of the All-Star break? Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, it's just uh, we've just finished putting together a campaign around the All-Star game, which was a lot of fun for us. And uh, the game's in Los Angeles and Hollywood this year. And so we really, really enjoyed a, creating a core creative idea about what would it look like if our players were movie stars. And um, we had a lot of fun with that and got a lot of buzz in the marketplace. And I think hopefully, I mean, the first things first, we, we want to make sure our, our great players are recognized for uh, their play on the field. But then anything we can do to add some marketing muscle behind them to get baseball into some channels where perhaps it isn't typically um that's what we want to do so we were pleased to be able to to put a put a shoulder into helping some of our players get to los angeles and uh i think it's gonna be a great all-star game i think the, the league is populated with a, a generation of, of great young players i think it's not the 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 type of atmosphere that we all grew up with and i think these players are are really more um, showing their individualistic side. And I think that's resonating with fans. I think that that is something that they share with other athletes as the game gets more player centric. And, and I think that that's just really good for the game, what we're seeing right now. Can you expand a little uh, on that and what's going on in Atlanta? Obviously you work in a market with a team that has a great tradition yep. uh, in a very important U uh, S market, you know, the season, got a little bit delayed because yep. we were going through the labor situation. We're really excited, by the way, to have somebody in from baseball. But uh, talk to us about how how you're feeling about, as you're coming back now from yep. getting the labor situation settled, obviously uh, the commissioner uh, in Major League Baseball is trying to institute a few things and be a little more aggressive and in utilizing technology and so forth. How is that working for you at the local level? And how would you, you know, take a look at the overall baseball business and assess it? You know, it, it. I think coming out of the lockout, we we were fortunate position, right? We're the World Series champions, and uh, and we had a lot of things already in in plan to get out in front of of uh, our fan base, 
And as you know, David, with the lockout, we were not able to use any name and likeness from players. And so that forced teams to be creative. How do you talk about uh, your team without being able to talk about your players? And we were fortunate uh, that we had the World Series trophy and we were able to take the trophy out all over Braves country, which is a real thing, right? Six states that encompass our territory. And, and so that's, that's how we kept ourselves busy in the off season. But, um, you know, you, the, the game has, has really come back in terms of, uh, of, of, I think great play. Uh, and you've got great play in, in big markets you see in your neck of the woods, what the Yankees are up to. And then, as I said, across the league, you're just seeing just the, in my mind, um, just the real birth of a generation of great players and, uh, and, and really them being able to showcase their personalities and connect with fan bases, I think is really, really good right now for the, for the entirety of the sport. So you talked about being creative and, and you're known for a lot of things, but one of the things that you're most well known for is, is being a really creative marketer, well, right? You, you always have been. Um, I want to talk about a couple of things in particular. You mentioned, you know, the game being in LA and trying to use uh, the Hollywood imagery to push uh, for your players to be voted yeah. for the all-star game. I thought that was really creative. I thought it was great. But I want to talk about something you did um, not too long after you joined the Braves. Um, and at first I didn't see the connection, but that's on me. Cause I'm slow. Not you. <laughs> you brought in Allen Iverson. We did. And uh, tell us about the genesis of that. Tell us before you do that, tell us a little bit about what, what you used AI for, and then tell us about how that came to be. Well, you know, it, it was a couple things, Tim, and that was that was a lot of fun, and that was one of the first big things we did from a creative perspective here. And 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 one of the things that uh, that that my boss Derek Schiller wanted me to do when I joined the Braves was was really to to be in the spirit of innovation uh, and to really galvanize a creative culture here. Um, you know, and this is the team, as you guys recall, was in the midst of a rebuild uh, at that point in time. It was, okay, get with us. We're, we've got a great group of players and this is going to be a real ride, which has turned out to be prophetic. And, and so one of my charges was to say to my group that I, a talented group that I inherited, okay, we can be bold. Uh, we can be audacious in terms of our thinking. Um, and we had some, some, a real challenge in front of us, Tim, we were moving from Turner field here and the media had set an expectation in people's minds that, Oh my gosh, Atlanta traffic is going to be Armageddon. They're coming to a point where 75 and 285, which are two major highways in Atlanta kind of come together. And then, Oh my gosh, they're, 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 they're just going to have a parking nightmare. And we had we had a real plan. Uh, we had done extensive work. Infancy of Waze at the time was new. We were implementing Waze. We had uh, extensive work with uh, all sorts of state and local authorities. And so, but our plan wasn't breaking through. And we were looking for a way to really get that breakthrough idea to let people know that. Uh, we we were serious and we we had a plan. So as sometimes the, the best creative ideas happen, we were just kicking things around and we went from a point of being frustrated to just sort of being loopy. And somebody said, I can't believe we're sitting here and we're talking about parking. We've got all these great things going on and 
And, and all of a sudden I was like, what? We're, we're talking about parking? <laughs> and, and, and the person who made the reference was sadly, you know, it was a wonderful, talented person, but they were young and they're looking at me like, yeah, we're talking about parking. I'm like, okay, so there was this guy that was in the NBA who did this thing and he had this <laughs> rant about, and, and so then it just became hilarious. It became an inside joke that, you know, we're, we're sitting here talking about parking. And, and so then, uh, myself and my creative director were like, this is, this is just too funny. Like, why not? Let's just script this out. And what would that look like if we found Iverson and said, we want you to come back in and we want you to lovingly recreate. And you know, the backstory he's now told you that, you know, that the rant was about his, his friend. It's really a very poignant story of you know, right. where that came from, but he'd never done it uh, to that point. And it turned out he was an enormous Braves fan, you know, Richmond back when the Richmond Braves, he's from, as you guys know, he's from, he's from coastal Virginia and loved Andrew Jones and loved some of our guys. And he just thought it was hysterical. And I said, you know, we're not making fun of you. If anything, you know, you are going to redo that in the context of you're exasperated that people just don't understand that the Braves have a plan. And so he, with great humor, right down to the props on the table, the backdrop, the whole nine, we recreate, recreated the, the famous, we're talking about practice uh, press conference. And it, instead it was, I can't believe we're sitting here and we're talking about parking, parking, not a game, but parking. And it, <laughs> and it, and it broke through and, and people thought it was hysterical, but most importantly, you know, as you guys know, good creative has to link up to a business objective. And it really did unlock the, you know, because the payoff, David, was, you know, don't ask Iverson, ask the Braves, right? And there it was, Braves.com yeah. backslash parking, and people flooded to it, and all of a sudden, we didn't have a problem anymore. Uh, and the lesson there for my team was, if we're capable of that, if you can take a seemingly disparate Allen Iverson NBA all-star, what is his connection to the Braves, and you can bring that in, to solve a problem creatively, what else can we do? And so I think it was a it was a very important seminal moment for us culturally on the creative front, on the marketing front, to be like, well, damn, if we can do Iverson, we can do anything. That's awesome. And uh, um, just the gift that keeps giving, right? I think that's just one of the, you know, the use of it in the Ted Lasso series, I thought was great too, but uh, yeah. that's, that's oh, great, Adam. I, I love that story. That's terrific. I was, yeah. Before you ask your question, David, I, I was, when that came out, I was saying, I know that guy. And everybody's like, you know, Alan Iverson. I'm like, no, I know the guy who got Alan Iverson <laughs> to do that. <laughs> to me, that was more, well, that it was, was more great. exciting. It was great. You know, and you guys can appreciate this too. I think, you know, when, when, when you have, when you're, when you're not very good uh, and, and, and you can define that however you, you choose you have tremendous appetite for risk and then you know when you are good there's tremendous appetite for risk and we can talk about both continuum because i've been fortunate enough here to have both right and 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 my boss to his credit you know had empowered me and said hey if 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 that's going to work i think it's hilarious but if you can link it to unlocking a a, a real business challenge that we have then have at it and and our creative team was able to do that to to great effect. Yeah, and, great credit really to the organization. It really did imbue us, David, with and Tim with a 
our philosophy of one of the things that we live by here is, you know, we don't want to start with my only concern is there's a place for my only concern. You need to start with, wouldn't it be cool if, and I think when you start with, wouldn't it be cool if people get fired up, you get great ideas. And then as you get down the continuum, people are solving for my only concern is as opposed to starting with it and, and sort of inverting that way to sort of approach marketing and creative was something that we worked very hard on, you know, uh, in 2016, 2017 to, to make that okay for yeah. people creatively. Hey, Tim, I want to point out that your newly revealed favorite tennis player, Nick Kyrgios, actually took to Wimbledon center court with an AI shirt on. He, he did, but that wasn't enough to overcome my disdain right. for him. Adam, your portfolio with the Braves covers a lot of ground, everything from marketing strategy to game experience. So when you distill it all down, how do you view your role in terms of serving your fan base? And then get a you know, dive a little deeper into this whole idea of how you even look at the concept of fan experience beyond right. what people's normally traditional view of what fan experience means. Yeah, we'll we'll start there, David. You know, my I think people that that know me in sports business go, oh gosh. You're going to get him on his rant on fan experience. And, you know, I, I think fan experience over the years has become a catcher's catch can, right? It, it means so many different things to so many different people. It can be, you know, UX, which there's certainly a point for UX. How quickly am I getting David in and out of my stadium? How long does he, uh, does he stand in line to get a hot dog, you know, bathrooms, all of that, which is incredibly important. Um, you know, to my operational friends, but I don't think fan experience needs to live in a place where it can be commoditized. And, and so when you, when you really dissect the word fan experience, it first starts with fan fanatic, right? So people who are rational, who are passionate about, you know, the Atlanta Braves or the New York giants or whatever their favorite team is. And then the idea of experience. And I think if you really think about experience, and not to get esoteric and sophomore year of college for you here, Tim, but if I were to say, you know, like, let's take experience and, and really break that down experience. If I ask you the best and worst experiences of your life, hopefully you're coming with your best experiences. Those are memories and attached emotion, right? I mean, experience in my mind are memories and emotions. And, and that's where I think we should live. When we think about what we do in sports business is is that nexus of creating and enabling memory and emotion um and so that's kind of what our guidance is when we talk about fan experience now again some of the operational types of considerations i think would be a different conversation but that's where we live i think the crux of sports business is is that nexus of memory uh, and emotion so some of which people bring with them, right? The people that, that they bring to the park, the things that happen over the course of the three and a half hours, those memories that you have over the course of a lifetime of fandom, all of that is very, very powerful. And, and that really hit me when we moved from Turner Field to Truist Park. People shared with me all these amazing stories. I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, I, I met the woman that became my wife right over there, you know, I was, my dad and I, before he died, and this is what we did. We went to Braves games. And people showed these incredibly powerful emotions with me that really reinforced. I'm like, man, we really have 
we really have a, a, a duty here, you know, to really honor this of what people share and what they bring. And I do think you guys asked me about baseball earlier. I think baseball really uh, enables that. There's no clock in baseball, right? There's no, oh my gosh, the quarter's about ready to end. So, and, and my personal take is you lean into that. You lean into the fact that there's no clock. You lean into the fact that there's conversation and that I can talk to you, David, for three hours in this tone of voice. And, and what does that do? And I really think that that does something to fandom because I can't talk to you in this tone of voice for three, three hours at an NFL game. So, you know, I, I, I am sort of uh, uh, of the opinion of just don't mess with it because there is beauty in the game in terms of what it does culturally um, in the midst of a really fast, fast paced, go, 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 go. No, you, you're going to sit, you're going to have conversations, you're going to do old school social. And I think that that, I think, especially Tim, you asked me that from the onset of our conversation, especially coming out of COVID, people crave that. People crave sunshine and fresh air and conversation and people. And I think that's why we're really seeing a renaissance for baseball right now. One of the reasons. Hey, one thing, I wouldn't worry too much about how long it takes me to be in line to get a hot dog. Because I'm assuming <laughs> when you host us at Truist Park, you'll have this powerhouse podcast team up in a suite mm -hmm. where the hot dogs will be plentiful. But, yep. you know, just throwing that out. But going back, to your, going back to yes. a little bit of your question too, David, you know, I think that, you know, it, it, it's it's sort of de facto and obvious that your, you know, your fans are at the forefront of everything you do, right? I mean, right. There are various permutations, fan friendly, and, you know, fan first and obvious. That's obvious. That's what you should be doing. What's less obvious is, is you know, putting things in front of people that they didn't expect, right? And so I'm often inspired by, you know, what, what Henry Ford said, you know, if, if, you know, if I asked people what they wanted, they would have told me faster horses. And, you know, and Steve Jobs that's saying, yeah. you know, you didn't know you needed You didn't know you needed an iPhone until I told you. So, you know, that that I think as marketers is 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 should always be our challenge of what do people um, want? They didn't know that they wanted. And, you know, you started to see that a few years ago with people using surprise and delight in, in social contexts and so forth. But now I think you can get closer to the pin because of all of the data capabilities that you have, where you can start to unearth things and connect the dots on things that maybe people don't see, but you can see with sophistication under the surface. And so that's, that's what I think is interesting and what's next. De facto is obviously serving the needs of your fans and surveying them and talking to them and getting feedback and making that actionable. What's a little bit more difficult is, is the, the Henry Ford, Steve Jobs type of approach where you are anticipating need, you are creating need, you are doing stuff that people didn't know that they wanted. One of the things that, that you just said was that people coming out of COVID are craving, you know, sunshine, conversation, social. I think so, Tim. I really No, do. I, I don't disagree with you. So, and I'm sure you have a very well thought out answer to this. And you guys are the first club to enter the metaverse with yep. Digital Truest Park. How do you reconcile that desire for in-person, uh, real-world connectivity among people with what you're doing in the digital world? Yeah, I, I think 
that that is another form of connectivity for for people, particularly younger people. Tim, I mean, okay. I'm not a gamer. I didn't grow up a gamer, uh, but you know, I was inspired uh, during COVID uh, by uh, you know my 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 girlfriend's son, who actually taught me all about Fortnite and showed me uh, uh, Travis Scott playing a show in Fortnite, and it blew my mind because I'm like, wow, I, that is communal. That is that is uh, something that is de facto behavior for a younger generation, and you know you guys are probably familiar with Discord and, and some of these platforms that keep people connected. So you know for them that is sociability. That is like going to an event, and and so I think we'd be remiss, Tim, if we didn't create you know a a third place. Now for us, when I, when I speak of a third place, it is. Digital Truist Park. It is our commercial real estate district, the Battery, which we can talk about here in a minute. And then it is this Digital Truist Park, right? And and I'm envisioning, you know, my my fans toggling through all three in terms of how they experience the Atlanta Braves, um, because I think increasingly that is that is a part of people's personas, uh, and particularly as as you. Uh, Talk, start to talk to younger fans, that is going to be their expectation. You know, you spent time on the agency side yeah. and now uh, in an executive position in a on the property side. Talk to us a little about, because, you know, listeners are coming from both sides of this. You know, Tim and yeah. I have agency uh, and, and brand side uh, uh, experience. What have been the biggest differences, challenges, uh, you know, that you have seen moving from that, the agency world into the property world? That's a great question. You know, a, a, a few things. First, I, I you know, I, I got used to being my, the final decision maker on a lot of things. And, you know, I think sometimes in the agency world, you're like, oh, client, if you only could get there, you know, and you, you, you get a great idea and it kind of gets watered down and you're like, all right, well, okay. 60% yeah. is, is, is good. It's not 100%, but it's 60%. So that was, you know, that was new for me. Like, well, wait, you know, I mean, and like I said, my, my Derek, my, my boss, team president has given me a great deal of autonomy. And certainly I would check in, but I was like, well, wait a minute. I, I don't have to ask you. There's no client for me to ask. I can, I can do the Allen Iverson thing if I, if I choose to. And I'm okay with the accountability of that. All right. That's great. And some, sometimes in the agency world, as we know, Clients can use agency as fall guys, right? So now, now it's like, okay, great. Uh, it's on my shoulders Clients. and I can do it. But I, I wanted to instill in my team the, you know, serving, you've got internal clients to serve, right? I mean, first, as we talked about, you know, certainly you're serving the fans, but then in my world, I'm serving the people who are, who are the sellers and then other departments within here. So making sure that we got to a point much like we would in agency world where you got a really good brief from the internal client and, and that took a little bit right to be like to educate people like no 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 my, my team is here to to help you achieve your your goals and objectives but in order for me to do that i need you to be able to clearly state those and i'll help you drive them and so we've gotten into a pretty great rhythm of positioning our team as an internal agency in terms of, of, of solving problems and so forth. And then one of the things that I think is a hallmark for us creatively 
and you you guys know this as clients, the kiss of death is when a client goes, hmm, that's just not big enough for me. <laughs> you know, you want a client to be like, oh, oh okay, uh, 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 all right, we can't do that. But, you know, and when you're in that role, you're winning. And, and that's the mentality that we wanted to have here is that, you know, you're going to go big. It's going to be thoughtful, but it's going to be enormous. And then, you know, you can have the chance to kind of get yourself to a good place. And that, Tim, was the metaverse idea, right? I mean, it really mm -hmm. dawned on us that we were like, okay, we're not just doing this for bells and whistles and we get PR headlines. There's utility here, but it's also very much of a, you know, a, a, a John Kennedy-esque, we're going to the moon we could do this and why not build our building in the metaverse and what would it look like if we did what could we unlock and along the way we've developed a lot of capabilities and capacity because we're like what we're going to do what we're going to we're going to digitize and build a life replica of this of our park in this stuff that Fortnite's built in and we learned a lot of things along the way that's going to make us good in all sorts of different capacities and departments. Well, we have it before we uh, ask you our final questions. We have a tradition on the show when anybody says that's a great question. We like to give credit to the person who wrote the question. And in this case, it was David's question. So nice, I want to give I want to give my co-host credit where credit nice. is due. Yeah, we alternate. I wouldn't have listed that as one of the top questions on this. I thought there were some other very sound ones, but thank you very much, uh, Adam. <laughs> wow, I that. wow, he's uh, big time in you. Adam. Well, I'm not big time, and I'm just saying. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Or, no, I I appreciate that. Sometimes we get all wrapped up in you know wording of stuff. Let's be honest. Some of the best we got to be totally honest because we are transparent on this show. Some of the best questions we had are, are you know, came from Adam, but that's a whole true, other story. true. But he's not going to say he's not going to say his own questions are great. He knows that. But I will tell you this: when I was a little kid, my my older brother once said to me, "Hey, be grateful when you get a compliment. It might be the last one you ever get." There you go. <laughs> Very grateful. So before we do let you go, Adam, we have questions that we like to ask all our guests. Um, and I'm sure your responses are, are going to be very interesting to our listeners. So the first one is, Where'd your career get started? Where'd you start it? Yeah, you know, I, I uh, ran track many, many moons ago. And um, I was, uh, as I transitioned out of, of being uh, sort of a, competitive athlete i had a, a a friend of a friend that worked in the athletic department and uh you know it was a way for me to kind of stay around and 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 be helpful uh and uh actually have a job and as i got into uh working in the athletic department i realized that there were all of these different things that i had no idea that somebody had to think about and somebody had to do and the complexity and uh, that went into, in my case, uh, at University of Florida, you know, a, a big time athletic program. And so I was on my way to, you know, uh, undergrad in history. And I was on my way, in my own mind, on my way to law school, uh, because kind of that's what you did back then when you didn't know what to do. I'm like, well, you know, I don't really have a real sense. Well, so I'll just go to law school and I'll figure it out from there. And along the way, I, I fell in love with sports business and had a couple of great mentors at, at University of Florida who said, you know, you, you can make a career out of doing this type of work. And uh, I went to uh, University of Michigan for an internship uh, at the height of the Fab Five. 
which was uh, a lot of fun. And uh, and then said, well, gosh, OK, uh, this is this is I've got some some experience at, at, at University of Michigan and, and at University of Florida and had the opportunity to, to kind of make my first move in college sports. And then the siren song of Atlanta and a lot of, of people that I grew up with had moved, were moving up here in anticipation of the Olympics. And I became one of those people. Uh, and I moved to Atlanta in advance of, of the 96 games. And one of the biggest insights I got was, you know, back in the day <laughs> before you really had cell phones that worked, you know, I would, I would stand down at Hartsville with my little sign waiting for Tim McGee, my client to come. And I didn't maybe know his face yet. And nobody was going to give me an alert that his plane was delayed. And I'd stand there till he showed up. And, and then I took him around and drove him around and, uh, and, and I said to myself, gosh, I'm wasting my life. I need to do something different here until it dawned on me that my bosses would say, well, you spent all day with McGee and what's on his mind. What's he thinking about? And I realized that that, that was very valuable, uh, to keep someone's counsel and confidence, but also to share and solve problems. And, and that was really galvanizing for me to, to help me then make the move into agency life. Um, so, you know, my, my advice that I give people who are looking to break into this business is I always say, I don't care if you're D1, D2, D3, wherever, working somehow, some way in your athletic department is a really great glimpse of sports business. So that's usually my first piece of advice that I give people is, uh, you know, if you're able to, I don't care what, what the size of your university is, do that. That's, that's usually a great place to start. Great advice. And as a lifelong uh, UNC fan, thank you for not telling Chris Weber he didn't have any timeouts left. No. <laughs> Adam, can't thank you enough for taking time out of your day. Um, another great game down at Truist Park tonight, right? The, the Mets we are in do. town. We do. We're hours away from hosting the, uh, the New York Mets. And, uh, yeah, it's going to be a great back half of the season. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Adam Zimmerman of the world champion. Atlanta Braves. Thank you, Adam. Well, that was another very fun discussion with a very entertaining and very insightful guest, Adam Zimmerman of the Atlanta Braves. Uh, so big thanks to, uh, to him. This is the time of the show where we take a little look forward. So, Tim, what do you have your eye on? Well, I think given how much we've talked about golf over the last several weeks and months, uh, uh, I'm going to be watching the Open Championship at the uh, the old course at St. Andrews, uh, particularly going to be looking at Tiger. Um, he ran away from the field in two of his three uh, Open Championships there. And so uh, I'd love to see him. You know, be able to compete for a championship one more, at least one more time, right? I think he's he's become a feel-good story. Yeah, um, yeah, which is kind of interesting to say that. Um, I listen, it's going to be it's going to be a challenge, but he has been putting in the work and actually uh, played several rounds over there uh, in prep. Uh, I think he wants it. He certainly wants to put a good show in. So, yes, I'm I'm looking forward to uh, to watching. It's always a great championship, especially I think when it's at uh, in St Andrews. Um, and obviously we have these other storylines going around. So, uh, that'll, that'll be what my focus is as well. Uh, I did want to bring up one thing that, that I'm going to be keeping my eye on is you may know that 
Sri Lanka is just in, you know, going through all kinds of things. And, and I, I don't think there's any truth to the thought that, you know, stuff just started unwinding there after, you know, we found out that they, we had listeners in Sri Lanka. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I, hope that, I, I, I hope that's not the case, but I think if there is, we'll, we'll make sure that, uh, that listening to wait, what, uh, remains, uh, uh, free to uh, our listeners in Sri Lanka, uh, so and the, that they have peace um, soon. Yeah. To the extent that I can influence things in Sri Lanka, I would like to say to our friends there: please stay safe, protest peacefully and respectfully, and uh, hopefully you get the government that you want. Great way to great way to end that. So that <laughs> it, yeah, no, seriously. I, it, but that does bring us to an end. So time to wrap up another episode of Wait What? Big thanks to Adam Zimmerman of the Braves. That was a that was a fun conversation. He's a smart and very creative marketing thinker, as I think you heard. Tim, happy birthday to you one more time. Uh, Thank hope you you're again. Able to celebrate tonight, you know. So feel free to take the rest of the evening off. Oh, thanks. All hand, all handle getting this out. Don't worry. <laughs> it's just like every other week. <laughs> <laughs> but if, but For those of you don't know, David does all the work. No, no, not true. Uh, of course, thanks to uh, to everybody that continues to listen to this podcast. We really do love bringing this to you each week, and appreciate any and all the feedback you have. Uh, so until next week, I'm DP, and he's birthday boy McGee. We'll chat soon. <laughs>